One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Hi, this is Marion Bartoli. I'm Mats Villander. This is Mary Carrillo. I'm Stan Wawrinka. I'm Leighton Hewitt. I'm Andy Murray. This is Yannick Noah, and you're listening to the Tennis Podcast. So I know you're all tuning in to the Day 4 French Open Tennis Podcast, wondering... Well, how could it get any weirder today? And the answer that you're probably not expecting was a sonic boom. That is how the French Open got weirder on day four. An actual sonic boom that brought Roland Garros and the rest of Paris to a very um, eerie, foreboding standstill. Um, and I'm making light of it now that we all know it was a sonic boom, but there was a it, it was a it was a fighter jet breaking the sound barrier, um, and it it made a, a a sound that was literally heard over the whole of Paris. But obviously, there were some very very eerie moments there when there were, people were fearing the worst about what it might have been. But yeah, an actual sonic boom on day five of the French Open. I don't think that's anything we've ever covered in a tennis podcast before. No, and it was uh, various TV cameras footage was spliced together to show the reactions of various players, umpires, coaches on the various courts at Roland Garros the moment that the sonic boom took place and everybody just was f jumping out of the skin and, um, and understandably so. And thank goodness it was not what we feared it might be at the time. Yes, there were two questions in Dominic Kupfer's press conference today, both of them about the sonic boom. So when people go back into the archive in a few years' time and have a look at his press conference, that will be a very, very interesting one. <laughs> um, yeah, that's sort of a that is going to be a question on a on a quiz that we do in years to come, isn't it? Something. What was the year of the famous sonic boom? of day four Roland Garros. Um, I don't think it affected any matches or play or anything. It was just uh, another quirky, weird happening. Uh, typical of this year's Roland Garros. David has had his first Roland Garros 2020 beer, I think. Is that correct? Yeah, I've had my first, my first beer in, in a sort of outside of a pub for six months. Um, God, it was good. Oh, fantastic. Hang on, what do you mean outside of a pub? You haven't had a beer outside of a pub in six months? or No. I haven't had a beer. Do, no, do you I'm mean never, inside? Had you haven't had a beer in a... In a you've, you, I, I, I know for a fact you have had beers. I've yeah, seen you have beers. Yeah, but I've only had them in, in my own 
company in a house. Yes. Okay. So you haven't had a beer in a pub for six months. Correct. How was it? It's just amazing. It's just amazing. What what was it accompanied by? Well, it was before my Nando's. Dave Uh, Dave has had a great British night out, everyone. Yeah. Yeah, I did my commentary, did a seven-hour shift, then ordered Nando's, ordered it from the wrong place, turned up at the right place, turned out I hadn't got one at all. I had to reorder it. And in the 25 minutes that uh, I was waiting for the new order to take place, I found that there was a pub next door and went and had a pint. And I had downed it in about four minutes. So, yes, I am a bit drunk. Yeah, he sent a photo to the WhatsApp group where he looked a little bit wide-eyed and there was only about an inch's worth of beer gone at that stage. When I, when you sent that picture, I thought, oh, well, I'll have a gin and tonic then. And um, I've just made it and it's sitting next to me here. I accidentally dropped a rhubarb and custard sweet <laughs> into the G&T. <laughs> Turns out, folks, I've invented a really excellent new cocktail because this is... It's delicious in ways I've never tasted before. So, listeners, send in your <laughs> gin and tonic pictures with the with your rhubarb sweets in, and um, Catherine will join you. Um, Matt, outside of the sonic boom, <laughs> words I didn't expect to be uttering on today's podcast, what were today's weirdness levels at the French Open? I think this was the best day at the French Open so far and the one where I thought about the weirdness the least. There was a good combination of really excellent matches and drama and also an an unfortunate storyline, but a very big storyline, which was Serena Williams withdrawing from the tournament, which happened moments after the sonic boom. It it was was eerie how, how close those two massive events were to each other. And it was a very hectic, hectic time. I think actually Serena Williams's withdrawal was announced while we didn't know what the sonic boom was so it was it was a it was a very unsettling period of the day that was probably the weirdest period of the day but after that i would say it was a it was a fairly normal and eventful and interesting day of grand slam tennis rumors started to circulate pretty pretty much as soon as play had started about Serena Williams' withdrawal and i'm sure it would have been one of those things where had there been more people and journalists uh, on site um maybe proper word would have got out a lot earlier than it than it did but there there was the odd rumor circulating and actually pretty soon after that Serena Williams came to press uh and told everybody yep yeah, I am I am withdrawing from the match due to the Achilles injury that she had kind of played down after her after her first round match against Christiane um it was obviously the injury she sustained in the US Open semi-final against Victoria Azarenka. And again, after that defeat in New York, she had really played it down and said that wasn't why wasn't why I lost today. But it obviously is still a concern for her. From from everything I've heard, David, um, I know you just discussed it in some, some depth um, on Five Live today, just the nature of Achilles injuries and and that part of the body it doesn't sound like something that you mess with in Achilles and it sounds like there are no there are no shortcuts to to healing um and it just it needs the proper the proper time and attention and frankly the Australian Open even in perfect circumstances was always going to be a better chance for her at 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 winning number 24 and 
she doesn't want to make any decisions now that that might put that into jeopardy and and i Mm. completely understand that yeah well if i think back to an interview i did with her turns out it was seven years ago and you can still get it in the tennis podcast archive in 2013 when i asked her do you get any aches and pains now you're in your 30s now she's 39 back then she was saying i still jump out of bed i feel great she was describing how this achilles made her feel that she couldn't really walk in a straight line without a limp well you're not going to win the french open if that's the situation you're in and really, why is she playing the sport if she can't win? And I think that that is the absolute key here. So I think it is the right decision on a small or an immediate level uh, regarding the French Open and in a long-term level in terms of trying to get right for the future because the last thing you want to do is for your Achilles to properly go because that would probably, at her age, end her career immediately. So you, I think you're quite right about the Australian Open I also think now, just when you look at the year just gone, the fact that she's turned 39, realistically, I think next year is probably the last chance for her to equal this record. I don't see it happening if it doesn't happen next year. Agreed. Yeah, I mean, I I think if you asked me now to place my bets whether it will happen, I would say no, but I certainly pretty much 100% agree if it's going to it will be it will be next year and probably the Australian and Wimbledon will be the the best chances so absolutely the um the announcement led to some some discussion at tennis podcast towers as to what would happen to Matt's prediction for the day because he had gone for Peronkova to beat Serena Williams uh, this was not an unprecedented situation. I think it had arisen before uh, for David at the Australian Open and it went to pole vault and I don't know I don't know what the outcome was because irrelevant. Um, but anyway, it was decided that um, <laughs> it was early enough in the day. Matt took this with, with great grace, I must point out. It was early enough in the day that Matt should have the chance to opt for a new prediction and and didn't use that opportunity wisely, Matt. Yes, I'm feeling less good about the whole thing now, a few hours on. Um, I was actually expecting David to come into bat for me today. And given given you that are. when this occurred with David, David got the points voted for by pole vault, I, I thought I was expecting... Did he? Yeah, he did. Was that yeah, the outcome? Did, yeah, I was expecting David... I don't think I signed off on that. I was that. expecting David to come in for me here and say, it's all right, Matt, this is... This is a situation we've had before. We have a protocol and you can get the points. But there was none of that whatsoever. Um, have you seen the standings? Irrelevant. <laughs> I'd, not, I'd not even thought of it, Matt, to be quite honest. Sorry about Anyway, that. so yes, I chose a... Actually, I'm going to stay on this topic for a bit. I think we should come up on air with a policy that we then stick by for all future newsletter predictions if this happened. I'm proposing half points. But, but or it can be your choice. You can take half points or you can gamble those half points on a new prediction. Okay, I quite like that. Yeah. David, how do you feel about that? Fine. I mean, I'm not zero, <laughs> so who cares? It's all academic for David. No, no, David, yeah. no, no. You're misunderstanding. You're actually on significantly less than zero because the the graph points downwards as well as up. That's what yeah. I really, really, really love about the graph. <laughs> Yeah, all right. You and your graph. Um, so it's not yeah, my graph. You, 
the, uh, by the way, Amanda Nisimova, wow. What a performance from her over Bernarda Perra. So you chose Perra to beat her, Matt. And Anissimova has now lost four games in four sets. She was awesome. Yes, I panicked and went with Perra to beat Anissimova, <laughs> not really thinking that that would happen. And it very much didn't. Yes. And she now plays Simona Halep, who she beat in last year's French Open on her run to the semifinals here. So that is that is a very exciting prospect because I think that that was probably the best match that Anisimova has played in her short career, I would say. There's been a couple of standout performances against Sabalenka at the Slams as well, where she's just wiped her off the court with her wonderful backhand. But I think against Halep, it was the most complete performance and be very, very interesting to see if she can replicate that. And it feels it feels significant that Anisimova is having some very very straightforward, very dominant wins. You know, there were there were quite a lot of comments thrown around by various people after she didn't perform particularly well against Zachary at the US Open and, um, you know, people wondering whether her progress was stalling a little bit. On the one hand, there probably were fair comments to be making because she hasn't lived up to what she displayed in the first half of last year, but she's also had an incredibly difficult, difficult time with the death of her father in the last year and... I think it's it's just uplifting to see her coming back into into some good form. Yeah, she faces Halep now. Halep, a winner today in straight sets over Arena Camellia Bago. I didn't see any of that, but um, Fred, a couple of write-ups. And um, it wasn't a trouncing, but it was just a very solid, um, complete performance by, by Halep. Did you cover it, David? Well, I, I, only from afar, Russell Fuller, my colleague in Paris, was commentating on it. And without question, the highlight of the match for me was when they just decided to get involved in a moonballing rally. And there were at least 12 consecutive moonballs from either side of the court just arcing the ball slowly up into the air, like they were hitting 12 lobs at each other. Uh, and neither one had any intention of breaking the routine until one of them missed. It was just great to watch. I would only want to watch one per match, <laughs> I think. <laughs> but, but it was very funny. Like while my newsletter stat the other day about the 643-shot rally in 1984 that lasted about half an hour in the in the longest women's singles match of all time there's a, there's a very interesting new york times article about that which i linked to in the newsletter quite quite extraordinary can we interrupt this recording so i can go and read that <laughs> <laughs> and watch the rally yeah, and maybe absolutely. tomorrow we'll just, produce the podcast just stand by for a moment um halep today was Pretty much the only major name on the women's side of things that didn't encounter some kind of drama, I would say, either either by either a dramatic result or some kind of on-court aggro and or miscellaneous drama. Everybody else, everybody else was getting stuck in a bit. We had Victoria Zarenka losing to Anna Karolina Schmiedlova and losing pretty handily to, to Anna Karolina Schmidlova and she she's two and two what happened she doesn't really know she's she's kind of said she wasn't making any excuses in the match afterwards she said look I, I, she kept on using that word adaptability again um, and she said I was trying different things um, but none of them were working she said I wish I'd tried more things um, she's pretty hard on herself after that victory uh, uh, sorry <laughs> After the after the defeat, pretty 
Yeah, I, I, I think she had come in expecting a lot more of herself, um, understandably so. And she's at a, she's in a sort of sit to pass type state of not quite being able to explain why, why that happened today. Yeah, because I think in her mind she was adapting to the clay better this year. I mean, she gave a very honest press conference. I don't know whether it was pre this tournament or during Rome where she talked about how much she used to dislike clay and the shitty bounces she said and and the sort of horrible sliding that you have to do and she hadn't really ever properly figured it out she had some decent results on it but it had been by far a weaker surface for her compared to hard courts and I think she was expecting as you said Catherine a bit more of herself but at the same time she she ran into a player in Schmiedlover who was hitting such a big ball and being so aggressive and 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 she is a very interesting story really because she had this breakthrough in 2015 I think won a couple of titles and then in 2016 I was reading she lost 16 matches in a row on the tour you know almost Vincent Spadia levels of of despair and losing streak there um and Going into this slam, she was on a 13-match losing streak in slams. And she's now beaten Venus Williams and Azarenka back-to-back. And I think for a player like her, confidence is just so key because there's there's not that much margin for error in her game. And if she's a little bit off, I think her game can really go awry. But she was she was absolutely nailing nailing winners today and kind of kind of made Azarenka look a little bit impotent out there, which are not are not words we've said for a, a few weeks. So um, just a really, really impressive performance from her. And that was the same section of the draw that Serena Williams was in. So the, f- the four players who are now in that section are all ranked outside the top 100. So there will be someone ranked that low in the quarterfinals. It's a, it's a massive opportunity for all of them. And we all we all picked, you know, randomers for our quarterfinals. Just the wrong none one, of those as randomers. always. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. There was a. She had a really major knee surgery. I think mm. Shmid Liver. Um, and there was a a moment today where she fell really awkwardly, and it looked like her knee uh, moved in an unnatural, slightly worrying way. Um, and she she could see the look of she was so panic stricken. Um, you could see the look of just devastation on her face of just no, please, please no, not that. Um, and 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 it was already echoes of Kazakina in in Rome a couple of weeks ago because of course it was Azarenka over the other side of the court that time as well. Um, but mercifully, thankfully, it was okay, and she picked up right where she left off. Um, so Azarenka is out. Uh, Elena Svitolina managed to avoid the same fate. Only just, though, she made very hard work today on the Philippe Chatrier court of Renata Zarazua of Mexico. It was a strange scoreline, wasn't it? A one-sided first set for Svitolina, then a six-love second set for Zarazua, and then a, a very topsy-turvy third set. Um, which Svitolina eventually came through, but it was by no means plain sailing, and there were there were really big lapses from Svitolina that that are a, a worry, I think, a big worry. Mm. Well, she, I mean, the main problem from her side of the, the net appeared to be a, a lack of 
focus early on in the second set. I, I saw her put three successive forehands into the net. And she's she's a player who really trades off her consistency and her movement. And, and you know, you've got to go and beat her. And yet she was not really playing like that. So that that's problem number one. But the other problem was caused by her opponent, who is really not a tall woman. She's 23 years old. She's 1 meter 6 uh, 1.6 meters and you know that's that's not tall that's sort of five foot three 11 uh, 11 yeah. centi- centimeters shorter than me which is yeah well exactly two, five um. five inches uh, <laughs> yeah exactly Everybody's five short to me Matt. five two and a half yeah not not tall but she was she was drop shotting with such potency followed up by lobs and she was just driving Svitolina <laughs> to distraction. It was, I mean, you know, if you weren't a Svitolina fan, you were just looking at this and a laughing and b you, as a neutral, you'd you would cheer on Zarazua. If there was a crowd in that stadium, my, she would have had them eaten out of her hand. People, the way she was playing, so creatively, and yet, you know, this is a woman ranked what 178 in the world. It's it's new ground for her, and I, I love that when a player just comes out and just shows you what, what she's got. This is the moment everybody's watching that TV and watching, and all eyes are on her. It's the Chatrier court, and she had her moment, and she really delivered. I mean, okay, she didn't get the win in the end, but she certainly showed what she got. And while I was watching her, I was thinking, aren't, well, in the, in the old world, GB were supposed to be going to Mexico, right, to play Fed Cup. And oh wow, yeah! I was kind of thinking that it would have been quite an interesting tie to watch our players go up against her, presumably on clay, and you know, someone who just a few months ago I wasn't really aware of, but has made some some massive strides. And as you said, David has a has a fun, interesting game. So I'm sure that tie has been rearranged and will be played at some stage. So it's all of a sudden looking like a much trickier tie than it was a few months ago. I think. Uh, in the post-match press conference, Alina Svitolina was asked the following question. I don't know by who. It's probably, even if I did know, I probably wouldn't be name-checking them because that <laughs> potentially feel a bit cruel. Um, the, she was asked the following. The top players around the world are always looking at the best ways to achieve success. Some people like to make changes to their team. Others like to have a team they've had with them a long time. Someone who has been with you since a very early age is your pet dog, Bobbick. Is Bobbick still with you? If so, how much luck can he give you over the next two weeks at Roland Garros? Svitolina responded as follows. Well, it's a really good question. Actually, very sad for me because in 2018, I lost him. I forgot him in the room. It was very sad. At this point, she's tearing up and has to take a pause from her answer. Sorry, I lost him. Yeah, it's like this. It's a toy, but he was my talisman, my lucky charm. So it was a a cuddly toy, folks, Uh, not an actual dog. Um, And um, she, she left him in a... Presumably a hotel room in 2018. And that was obviously a traumatic experience for Alina Svitolina. And, um, yeah. Anyone got anything to say about that? Bless her. <laughs> really? I mean, I'm, I, I'm, I'm very surprised by it. Um, I do remember it vaguely, that story at the time. Hang on. What? 
Yeah. Well, not that she lost it, but that she had it, that she had that toy. It became a talking point. It became something she I'm sure we were ever talking about it. No, we maybe we weren't, but she was. I remember her doing press conferences and, and having it with her or something. Um, right. Doesn't Shepard Valov also have a toy? Yeah, a wolf. He calls himself a wolf. A wolf. It's certainly mm. not what I was expecting to happen today when I <laughs> opened the curtains. <laughs> Well, we we wish her well in her efforts to get over the loss of of Bobby. Thing is, she's been doing just fine um, without Bobbick. Well, yeah, I would argue that it might have been that, an unlucky. Imagine charm. what she'd have been doing with Bobbick. She'd have, she'd have won the everything. She'd have been cleaning up. <laughs> um. So that was <laughs> that was uh, Alina Svitolina. Uh, over on what court, Matt, were Kiki Burton's and Sara Irani playing on today? Was it was it one of the outside courts? It wasn't one of the the big three courts. So on one of the outside courts, there was this matchup between Sara Irani, uh, the former finalist, of course, at the French Open, and Kiki Burton's. The what seed is she? Tenth seed? Fifth. Fifth, Fifth seed. seed. Crikey! Yeah. Um, and. Uh, it was um, how how quickly did it become a point of interest, Matt? At what point did your obsession with this match uh, start? Well, it started late in the first set because I think it was a time where there wasn't that much going on, and I just went to that match as a as a match that was at an exciting stage, and very quickly it got very very engrossing because Sara Rani was having the worst serving troubles I think I've ever seen a professional tennis player have quite honestly I mean in terms of numbers her serving numbers weren't as bad today for example as Coco Goff's her ratio of aces to double faults weren't as bad as Goff's but Sara Rani threw the ball up and aborted the ball toss between 75 and 100 times in this match yeah, no. including including when she was serving for the first set, which was roughly when I joined it. At um, I think she, I think seven times in two points, she threw the ball up and caught it and started again. And um, didn't didn't she receive a, a time violation? Relieved, for... Yeah, exactly. So she lost. So, so what kept happening was she kept getting a time violation and losing her serve. And then after all these aborted tosses, she would then just very reluctantly resort to an underarm serve, you know, just as a kind of desperate attempt to be able to produce a serve that could go into the court. And this isn't new with Irani. She's had serving problems for quite a while. But I think the extent of the toss issue was probably greater than it ever had been. And... um, yeah, I was just completely engrossed by it. I was just obsessed with it. Every every Irani service game became this huge mountain to climb. Can she can she hold serve? Because <laughs> because I mean the rest of her game is is so so good. She's she's a fighter. She takes her backhand early. She plays angles with the forehand. She's got touch, craft, and yet she was having to fight kind of the most basic thing in tennis, throwing the ball up. David and I were sending messages to the whatsapp group going oh this is interesting this is happening on shatjo or whatever this is happening on long and tune into this it's great and matt said absolutely not i cannot take my eyes off burton's and irani <laughs> i couldn't i physically couldn't bring myself 
I was trying to tempt him with every, all sorts of <laughs> names that I knew he liked, really liked watching. He wasn't but, having it. But I think what made the match then so interesting it was is that it was kind of like a film where it was slowly revealed who the hero was and who the villain was. Because at the start of the match, I felt so, so sorry for Irani with these serving troubles. And yet, as the match went on, you couldn't help but root against Irani because she was being really quite horrible to Kiki Burtons, who was in the final set having these full body cramps, we now know. She was cramping in her leg, in her feet and in her hands. There was, there was, a, there was a sit down in the third set where she tried to take a drink of water and couldn't hold the bottle. It, it, it slipped out of her hand and fell on the floor. She was in, she was in so much pain and visible pain, you know, wincing. It was, it was really distressing to watch, I think, especially because it was Kiki Burton's who, who has had sort of similar issues, I think, in the past, and she doesn't hide how she's feeling out there. It's all so, so visible. And um, Irani thought she was faking it, straight up thought she was faking it. And as much as that provided some interesting aggro and an interesting dynamic in the match... I, I thought it was quite graceless and classless, actually, to because there was one, you know, she, she won a point, Irani, and then fist pumped and then sort of mocked Burton's and pretended to be injured like she thought Burton's was. And um, it all just escalated. And there were there were 10 breaks of serve in a row in the final set. Oh, my God. Irani, <laughs> there were 24, 24 in, in total. total. Irani served the match three times, had a match point, couldn't close it out. Burton's eventually managed to win the match. And, I mean, Irani just kicked off at the end. She she whacked a ball out of the complex, I should think, and packed her bags before, you know, didn't even shake or shake Burton's hand or do any kind of racket tap whatsoever. Just stormed off the court, swore in Italian as she left. And Burton's was physically collapsed on the clay for a, a good, 20 or 30 seconds after the match and then eventually got over to her chair and then received about 10 minutes of treatment post-match and had to leave the court in a wheelchair because she couldn't She was sobbing sobbing throughout, throughout. It was an an incredibly, incredibly distressing, I found, but also completely compelling and, yeah, just incredible drama. And I just, I, I wanted both players to be okay. Um, but by the end, you just, you couldn't help, well, I couldn't help, but just feel sorry for Kiki Burton's and just a little bit frustrated with how Irani handled it. I thought, I thought it was, I thought it was lacking in, in class really. And if everyone, anyone was wondering, oh, but with the, the benefit of just a, a, a short cool, cooling off period and a moment to reflect, sorry, Irani will, will see the errors of her, her ways and retract some of that. Uh, behavior in her press conference afterwards. You, well, you'd you'd be wrong. You'd be very, very wrong. Yeah, she just completely doubled down, and she said, "Well, I've just seen Burton's in the restaurant, and she seems absolutely fine. And I hate these kind of things. And um, you know, I swear all the time it's not a big deal." And um, she was she was asked, wasn't she, whether you, what you think she was faking it? And you, she goes, "Well." You saw her. You saw her running around and hitting these great shots. <laughs> that was the but, gist of it. I mean, I mean, it was so obviously cramp, and because she wasn't getting any treatment, you're not allowed treatment for cramp. Well, you're not allowed to take a medical timeout for cramp. You're, you can only have treatment during the allotted 
change of ends. And that's what Burton's was receiving. And, you know, when you're still, that's when cramps at its worst. You kind of need that movement to mm. to, to cure it. And, um, you know, during uh, the points, uh, Burton's a- was was hurting a bit but she was okay i was i was really struck i have been really struck over the opening few days particularly during my commentary matches where i'm obviously you know paying very very close attention and talking through the sit downs and everything how many players are not sitting down at the sit downs or if they are they're literally just sitting down having a quick swig of their drink and then getting up and going to the back of the court they are i think they're really conscious of the risk of cramp in these conditions and the risk of getting cold because it can happen really quickly and once it's once it's got its tentacles into you i think it's quite that you can sort of try and fend it off but you yeah once it's there it's very difficult and and you know the reason you can't have a medical timeout for cramp is is it's it's in the category of loss of condition which i understand why it's there but that is unsatisfactory um, in many respects because some players, regardless of their fitness, are just more pl- prone to cramp. Um, Kiki Burton seems there doesn't seem to be any issue uh, with her condition. To me, I think she was pretty unfortunate today. Maybe she didn't take on enough water. I don't know. Um, and look, I, I don't think there is any chance that Kiki Burton's was faking today or even anything close to faking i just take it all at face value and hope that sarah rani was just you know so caught up in the moment and the heat of a very dramatic battle that she wasn't quite able to to see the situation for for what it was um but i i feel for kiki buttons that she's had those aspersions cast upon her really yeah i'd agree uh, so that was that drama. Did, have you recovered from that, Matt? Have you still got just a stream open from that court and you're you're clinging clinging to it, <laughs> reliving? Just can't take your eyes off it. Life is full of awesome what ifs, and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Hello Tennis Podcast listeners, David here. Now you might know that I love a bit of cooking, and I think I'm quite good at it. But if I'm honest, even I get fed up trying to work out what to do every night. That's where Home Chef comes in. Being able to put together a delicious meal without the long prep and the cook times, well that's pretty cool. Home Chef provides fresh ingredients and chef-designed recipes conveniently delivered to your doorstep to simplify your cooking experience. They have over 30 options a week and serve a variety of dietary needs so you don't have to worry about what to make ahead of time. Not only is it convenient, but it's economical too. Home Chef customers save an average of $86 per month on groceries. 
Now, for a limited time, Home Chef is offering tennis podcast listeners 18 free meals plus free dessert for life and, of course, free shipping on your very first box. Go to homechef.com slash tennis. That's homechef.com slash tennis for 18 free meals and free dessert for life. You heard it right. Elsewhere in the women's competition today, I think the only last thing I wanted to mention was the Yulia Putin saver racket smash, which I think in a crowded genre uh, might be the, the, the pinnacle. I, f- I feel like we can call off the competition early, frankly. Yeah, Bookie, I mean, she, Bookies she can did... pay out on best racket smash of the tournament. I was very impressed with Isner's opponent the other day, wasn't I? But the, I mean, this was, it was the volatility of this. Not only the the repeated racket smashes, but then when she then she did it, and after doing about five of them, she kind of held up the racket to have a look at it, and then gave it another one, right? And then re- and, that, and that turned it in the, the head of the triangle, the the head of the the racket into a triangle, and then she just tossed it in the direction of her uh, her chair and it was sort of doing somersaults as it got there and it slammed into her chair. Oh, it's just epic. It was epic. It didn't do any good though. She lost to Nadia Podroska. Uh, and I, just maybe the final notable women's result, Coco Goff losing out late tonight on the Simone Mathieu court to uh, Trevisan. What is Trevisan's first name? Trevisan? Trevisan? Martina Trevisan. Trevisan, a uh, bit of an epic, think, actually. Oh well, it's Treviso is the the city, isn't it? I don't know. Martina, I don't know. Such a big, big result Martina. for her. That I mean, oh, she, this is she celebrated as such. years of age, and she's you know into the third round. It's it's wonderful, really, for her. I mean, I think there was a bit of aggro in that. I mean, they were really going at it a lot of noise that they were making between them during and after points and their their support teams getting involved and there were arguments about line calls i mean the the wider point of coco goff hitting 19 double faults is excruciating there's something about double faults that are different to every other unforced error because they are wholly enforced because you've you've literally not got anybody to derail you at all. And that's the whole thing with the, the aborted ball toss is, is problematic in that way. But when we talk about Zverev, I often find myself feeling uncomfortable watching his service games because I'm sort of holding my breath for whether he gets it in or not. And for Coca Goff to be doing that at 16 is just not something that I expected to be talking about at all. No, and... And I think the most worrying thing is it seems to be on a worsening trajectory rather than a, an improving trajectory. I think, I mean, let's not panic. She is 16. She obviously has time. I mean, to, to sort of out as it stands at the moment, she's got a, a whacking great long off season ahead of her. And she's she's so so clever and seems to make such good decisions about her career. I I trust her to do so, but it does need nipping in the bud. It does. It needs addressing now because it is getting worse and there are plenty of examples of players where you know once once it's taken root deeply in your psyche those those yips they are very very hard to to get rid of so i i hope she does and is able to um in the men's side we had straight sets victories for rafael nadal Dominic Team and Stan Wawrinka, all three of them looked 
superb today. Who does anyone want to tell me of the three looked the most superb? Well, I mean, Nadal lost very few games, didn't he? He was also playing somebody, I think, who was perfect for him, a bit like Djokovic yesterday in uh, Mikhail Immer. This was Mackenzie McDonald, quite a similar player in a way, those two, in the way that they play and good baseline games, but no real teeth to them. And Nadal looked a lot better than he did on day one, I thought. Uh, his his shots were going through the court more. Uh, he just looked more comfortable. Not not no great surprise there. Team had Jack Sock to play, and the first two sets were comfortable. The third set, he actually had to save two set points, and uh, and I think he would be pretty relieved. Team to have got out of there in three sets, not because I think he was under threat of losing the match, but because if he's going to go all the way here, he's got to conserve some energy somewhere, and his draw is really tough. Um, I actually think the one who impressed me the most was Vavrinka, and that's even though he lost a set against Dominic Kupfer. That guy has had good recent results, but Vavrinka's level, again, just made me think on this surface, in these conditions, he looks really, really dangerous. Him against team in the fourth round, if that happens, wow. I mean, that that is a clash of titans. And the way he responded to losing a set was just, oh, well, that's not happening again. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You can put away any hopes you've got of that being more than a a, a flash in the pan, buddy. He's got such confidence coursing through him, seemingly out of nowhere, Wawrinka. I mean, he lost to Mazzetti in the first round of Rome, and I watched the first set of that match, and he couldn't find the court, Wawrinka. He was he was really really bad, and suddenly he's got to Roland Garros, and he looks incredible. And he's talking with such confidence. He's he's really talking up his game, talking up his chances, thinking that he's feeling physically strong to go deep in this tournament. Um, yeah, he was the one that really stood out for me the most. I kind of expected Team and Nadal to be excellent, and they were. I think Team is Team said something interesting that he he has really decided to copy Novak Djokovic in tie breaks. He said, I've, I've studied Djokovic in tie breaks and he never makes any errors. And he said, I've, I've really oh, tried really? to sort of take that approach myself. And it's, and it's true. I was looking back on his record in tie breaks this year and it's, it's really, really strong in the big matches in the slams. And it was, it was a tie break today in that third set against Jack Sock. And, um, you know that's that is smart, I think, from team, and he's 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 becoming a player who I really trust in big moments and tight moments to get through them and knuckle down and not make errors. And it was interesting that he is he's he's consciously ma- made an adjustment in his game. That's so interesting that he said that because I was watching that um, third set against uh, against Jack Sock today, and I I got to the end of that match and I thought he probably would have lost that set. Mm. Even maybe even a year ago, um, and and still would have made it through the match and would have been talked about as still a contender for the title. But that is a shift. That that definitely is a shift in in Dominic Team. Um, that he doesn't lose these unnecessary sets. He's somebody that finds the gears when he needs them to to just navigate his way through those early rounds and get to where he's supposed to be and have maximum energy in the tank for. For for when he needs it, and he know he knows mm. that Vavrinka match is lurking. 
he absolutely knows yeah. that. Um, and, I, and actually, I yeah. think more than anything, that that's probably why I regard him as more or less in the bracket with the big three now in terms of being a contender for the major titles. We were watching, commentating on Alexander Zverev's match tonight, which was five sets against Pierre Ugebert, and he, he squeaked out a victory. Fair play to him. He won another five-set match, and he's had loads of them. But I was thinking after Zverev went two sets to one up, if this was Dominic team right now, he would be coming, and all those other three as well, he'd be coming and trying to take your head off for the next set. There'd be no relaxation, there'd be no way back in for the opponent. The idea would be to crush every ball and go 4-1 up in the next 10 minutes and it's over. And Zverev still lets people back in. You're right, Catherine. I mean, Dominic team used to play so many events and he used to have so many long matches and waste so much energy early on and have unnecessary defeats. But it's kind of he's kind of just learned how to do it over the years. And maybe it's also advice from... Nicholas Massou, who there does appear to be an an intensity about him all the time now, rather than just at select moments, and he seems to have the physicality to pull that off. I, I think he's he's I love that about him, the intensity. Um, it slightly scares me, but I mean, I'm so impressed with it. What Dominic team scares you? Yeah. Yeah, he's. Don't you think the way he goes after the ball? I mean, like he wants to just kill it. Yeah, but just, it's this it's contrast, just... isn't it, between his on-court persona and his off-court persona? His his tennis is fearsome, and uh, as a human being, he seems not fearsome. Well, I mean, he does seem very nice, but then I think of when he stood up to being told to move rooms a year ago. It's a jaw. The French Open. Yeah. It gets more Geordie every time I do the impersonation. <laughs> it, was, it was Scottish the other week. <laughs> <laughs> but, but, I, but I like the fact, I mean, okay, it's not being nice, it's not nice being told that sort of stuff when you're just trying to organise the, the rooms and whatever, but I kind of like a player to show teeth a little bit mm. and not, be pushed around. He's got Mary Carrillo fangs. Mm. He just hides yeah. them well. And, and I think that was the one thing that when I was watching that match that's slightly missing from Pierre Hugues game, fangs. I mean, he is, he's a lovely tennis player and he's got such intelligence on a court and he, he can move forward. He's such a good volleyer and he's, he's solid from the baseline, but he's, he's missing an ingredient. And I was trying to put my finger on what it was, maybe a bit more power, maybe a weapon. Better hair. <laughs> well <laughs> Alice Band he got locked down here with Alice Band and Top Knot he looks like he's playing for Leeds he does <laughs> <laughs> not a good thing around these parts no sorry uh, Chris Savory I know you're a Leeds fan but no we're, we're not having it we're not having football in general at the moment um, <laughs> sorry Matt <laughs> um, but then I thought it's fangs, isn't it? I mean, there was Alexander Zverev was. I hesitate to. Wasn't I hesitate a, to say that. Were there any fangs on the court? Well, Matt? well, no. I mean, I hesitate to say it was there for the taking <laughs> because zone. we've seen Zverev do this so many times before. I mean, has anyone ever made less of more when they're in a winning position, as you said, David? I mean, when he's in the lead, he doesn't hit the accelerator. He gets he gets more passive, and it, it's weird because he hasn't got 
a bad record when he's in in front. He ends up winning. He gets there in the end, but it isn't. I mean, it isn't half unconvincing. And you're just thinking if if Herbert had some fangs, he he would have won that match. And I think you could. He'd also be higher sure. ranked as and well. And I think yeah. you could apply that to a number of the players that Zverev faced in the US Open as well. It all felt very familiar. Maybe that was why it was a less weird Grand Slam day, because it was <laughs> it was a very, very normal Alexander Zverev match. It's funny, I, I was watching that match feeling... I, I mean, I really enjoyed it, and I, I was impressed by the, the fight in Zverev. You know, I, ne- I don't think anyone ever doubts how much he wants it, and I always enjoy watching that in somebody, somebody that just isn't prepared to filter how much they they want it um but i was i was pretty underwhelmed by the level of tennis yes uh, pierre Gobert is lovely to watch but there is something frustrating about that lack of killer instinct and with with zverev there's this lack of bite in in so much of his tennis so many of his ground strokes are just lacking conviction um and he he can he can hit them with conviction, and every now and then he'll have this moment, and you think, right, yeah, will the will the real Alexander Zverev please stand up? But I do end up feeling underwhelmed quite a lot of the time. But then I I, I was switching between the Eurosport and the ITV um, uh, coverage of of the match because they take ad breaks at different times sometimes. So when one goes to an ad break, I'll I'll switch over to the other one. Um, and they had Jim Courier and Fabrice Santoro in commentary uh, on ITV. And Jim Courier was was saying he went back through his record since the tour's resumption, and in, including the US Open, obviously, and everything. Going going back to his loss to Andy Murray at, at the Western and Southern Open, and he said he hasn't played a great match since since the tour resumed. He's played he's played a couple of good matches. He's played matches where the fact that he's won has been impressive. And again, you know, his fight, all of that. But he hasn't played tennis wise a great match. And he he very much looked at the positives of that. He said he's winning and having great results without playing his best tennis. And he said, as a tennis player, that's what you're striving for. Any, any anyone can win. Any most people can win playing their best. It's can you win, not playing your best, or even in Zverev's case, playing pretty far from their best. And I don't know. Maybe I come down on the slightly more pessimistic end of the the Zverev perspective spectrum, but I did find that an interesting an interesting take. Mm. And I would agree with it. I would say he's played two outstanding sets which were the first two sets of the US Open final where he was he was genuinely excellent in those sets and playing the way that I think he should be playing but there does come a point where if he constantly plays like this is this just how he plays I'm I'm kind of having Mm. to readjust my mind I've always thought that Zverev had the potential to be a really great player because he's got a massive serve and he's got um, an incredible backhand and, you know, what Americans call upside. You know, there's a, there's a lot that can go right with his game. But I'm, I'm starting to think maybe he's a good player who will, who will occasionally have really great results and kind of like getting to the US Open final. I, I don't know whether he, he is actually a bit 
limited as a player and this is more or less his baseline level and yet he's such a great competitor and as you said got that great attitude of really wanting it and fighting and and kind of figuring out the ups and downs of five set tennis and he sort of makes his way through but maybe this is his level and if we keep Mm. expecting more from him we're going to be constantly disappointed I don't know it's I'm, I'm still working it out and he's still young so I'm sure that the answer will develop over the years but I think the serve is the serve is a problem in in the rest of the game as well. The serve basically destabilizes the rest of what mm. he does. I do like the fact that he is honest about it in the in the interview on court. He said, "I'm I'm not playing very well," you know, and he's quite. He does give a great on court interview, doesn't he? Yeah, he, it's, he gives a he's far better on court interview than he is in the press room. He's just blunt in front of everybody and self deprecating, and it's quite it's quite funny. Um, the other thing I just wanted to comment on with regards to Herbert, who's a, who is a beautiful player. Mm. He's, he's an mm. artist out there. The way he constructs rallies and his imagination, and I, I, you know, give him a singles court, and he suddenly has ro- this room to show all this stuff he can do. But my word, he must be the worst poker player in <laughs> France because he went into that third set tie break and he's leading 4-1 and suddenly this look on his face, he looked absolutely petrified. He looked haunted by what was going to happen because he lost one point and he just collapsed. <laughs> he just totally destroyed in that, in that third set tie break. And then at the start of the fourth set, clean slate, he's behind. Suddenly he stopped worrying about things and he just started playing gloriously again until he was ahead again and then it all went wrong again. And it's just the the mentality, the psychology of playing in front or behind will never cease to fascinate mm. me. It re- it's just one of the great studies that is still to be done, I think, by somebody. And he's obviously a, a serial winner in doubles. You know, he's got a he's got a career slam in doubles, but With where, his mate where he's got him. someone alongside him who can probably just don't make, don't make me cry who can again. Probably just help him get over that line, you know, and can confide. Mm. Oh. I bet he's a great confider. And a oh, great listener. They've been through so much together. It's just um, <laughs> moving on. While I while I've still got myself together, uh, how good? Well, I was going to say how good was Diego Schwartzman today? Diego Schwartzman was brilliant today. Uh, and not only is there the great news that he's playing brilliant tennis, but he's also scored himself a sponsorship by Disney. So it's all coming up, Schwartzman. <laughs> he gets free Disney Plus. <laughs> yeah, I mean, who's saying no to that? Yeah, he's got a he's got a Disney Plus patch on his shirt. Is that? Does no one else um, find that sort of lovely but weird? No, are we all weirded out today? <laughs> I'm immune to weird. I did find it a bit. I was a bit surprised. By it. <laughs> he was very, he was very, very good today, wasn't he? I didn't see Me neither. <laughs> I don't know. He beat he beat that chap who won eighteen sixteen. Yes, the remains yeah. of him. Yes. Um. Yes. Okay. He 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 maybe went into the match with a head start, but he it was this sort of just dominant total dominant performance that proper proper top 
I was going to say contenders for the title. I don't think he's a contender for the title. But the sort of performance that contenders for the title put yeah. in in early rounds, frankly. And what he did say afterwards was that he hasn't made any adjustments from Rome. I mean, there's lots of players talking about whether they've changed their string tension and that kind of thing. Well, he said, it worked for me in Rome and it's working for me here, so I'm sticking with it. And I think that just kind of shows total confidence in in himself and where he is at the moment. And he should have that confidence because he's he is, as you said, he is beating people handily and having some of the best... Well, certainly in Rome, some of the best results of his career. Uh, tomorrow's order of play. Pay attention, David, because you're going to have to pick a prediction from one of these. And I, sorry, I was just watching some Dan Evans going, aggro that somebody sent it's me. It's going Twitter. so badly for you that I, I actually want you to get one. <laughs> That's that. Wow. It's reached a stage oh. of I'm I'm concerned about David's mental health. I mean, I have lost. I mean, we've had four days. I've got everyone wrong. I mean, today's I lost in five sets. I, I went. I decided to just. It was what they call in uh, in American football a hail mary, is it? Where you just chuck one into the end zone and hope one of your own team catches it out of nowhere. Um, so I went for Tommy Paul to beat Casper Ruud. That's not that hail mary. Points. Come on, hail mary would I've... have been um, Mackenzie McDonald to beat Rafael Nadal. Don't make it worse, <laughs> Sorry. We, we, I'm we trying were, to be we sympathetic. Si- Don't make it difficult were, for me. You were being sympathetic. Go back to that. Okay. Anyway, so I've, I've, had, I've had four goes. I've got more wrong. I had Serena Williams versus Jennifer Brady <laughs> final. They're both out. And we've only had four days. Okay. So, so listen up. This is what you've got to choose from tomorrow. Ostapenko against Pliskova. Um, as we've established, Ostapenko is definitely winning the title. So, but but I know. should say that uh, Grace, our opponent in the newsletter predictions, has got first pick tomorrow, and she has gone for that one. Ooh, Ostapenko. Okay, hands off then, David. Anna Bogdan against Sofia Kenin. Uh, Novak Djokovic versus Ricardis Barankis. Oh God, no! Uh, <laughs> Pablo Cuevas against Stefanos Tsitsipas. That is the Chatrier schedule. Court season long then. Shapovalov against Roberto Carbayas Baina. Uh, Christina Pliskova, conqueror of uh, Victoria Kuzmova, against Gabini Muguruza. Lloyd Harris against Matteo Bertini and. Uh, Elena Rabakina against Fiona Ferro, Matt's femme du jour. Match of the day, that one. Uh, Pet- <laughs> Petra Kvitova against Jay Paolini. What does Jasmine. the J stand for? Jasmine, great. Uh, Alberto Martin against Grigor Dimitrov or Albert Martin. Al- uh, something A Martin. No, he- Albert Martin was, was from about from 20 years ago. The- I saw A Martin and I, I went for it. As we've established, it's a very unsatisfactory uh, initial situation with the website. Uh, Elise Corne against Zhang Shui and Alejandro Davidovich Fakina against Andrei Rublev. Uh, on court 14, Vergely and Hachinov, Kai Yuvan and C. Burrell, French woman. Uh, Roberto Batista Agut against A. Balaj. Attila. Attila, That's yes. That's Attila the Hun. That's the badger. From Hungary. Yes, great. Yes, Matt, Matt, Matt knows all about this one, don't you, Matt? Because you got some sort of you got your stat in the newsletter on this player. What was it again? Yeah, that he turned pro in two thousand and six, and he won his first Grand Slam main draw match yesterday. 
and he and wow. he has retired in that time and come back. He he retired to coach and said he found it really boring, and uh, has has come back and he's now, you know, he was having his best results of his whole career prior to lockdown. I think he got to the final in Umag last year. He's making strides on clay and. Yeah, he's he's one of those good stories, a bit like um, Martina Trevisan. I th- I, th- I think so you should go. I think you should go lesson. for him, David. Well, uh, no, I mean, I'm Clara Towson. Apparently, it's Towson against Danielle Collins. Sabalenka, Kazakina, Pella against Karenia Buster. Uh, it's mostly doubles elsewhere. No, you can't have a doubles prediction, David. Teague, Mikhail, Giron, Montero. Uh, a few others. Christian Garin, you like him, don't you? Dushan Lajevic against Kevin Anderson. Uh, Martic against Kudamatova. Sloane Stevens is on court 12 tomorrow. Crikey, that's brutal. Um, against Paola Bedosa. Yeah, have, a, have a think, David. Take your time. Uh, one... I've got the newsletter to, to, to plan for. You know, sign up. The, the link's in the show notes and you'll get you'll get to find out which one I'm going to get wrong for a fifth day in a row. Um, we're going to finish again on our continuing debate about what it, what it is, trying to put our finger on what it is that's making this Grand Slam particularly weird because we've got input from, from Mary Carrillo uh, on this. She, she said to us in our WhatsApp group, she said, I think your brother is onto something about the vibe of this event. The USTA didn't try to hide pandemic panic. They acknowledged it for the scourge it is and made every accommodation to address it while still holding a raw, unplugged major event. The French, as they often do, are trying to put a source over the pandemic. Unfortunately for them, it's arriving cold. <laughs> a saucy pandemic in Paris with a sonic boom. Oh, God. That's, <laughs> that's the oh, experience God. we're having this week. Can't wait for day five. Uh, thank goodness for Cam, our lovely French Open oh, mascot. Yeah. Um, yeah, well, I sometimes during my day I just think about Cam and I get a little smile on my face and then I watch the video and then I start crying and then and then the floodgates are open and someone will send me a video of Pierre Gaber and Nicola Mahou and I'll cry again and it's a mess. Um, but yeah, Cam's lovely, and uh, yeah, we're hoping for more Cam-related content soon. But it's a it's a treat to have him, uh, David. Good luck with your prediction for tomorrow. I genuinely, for for one time and one time only, unless it goes wrong again tomorrow, I mean that. Uh, and let's do this all again tomorrow. We'll see you then. 
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.